Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 5, The Wrong Reporter Gabe wandered the streets of Prince's Town. The area was small and word travelled faster than a lightning bolt to those with open ears. A reporter was in the area searching for sources, compiling yet another story on the escalation of gang violence. This time, they sought to highlight the extent of the atrocities and the connection to Venezuela. Gabe had duped three news correspondents in the past six months, one English, one American and one Australian. He was baffled that these hapless outsiders cared at all about the inner workings of his home. His success rate was nothing to rave about. For the few he'd effectively deceived, there were three times as many failures. Shrewd journalists who saw straight through his tall tales and told him to take a hike. Gabe spotted his target, who was sat on a bench across the road from the mall and surrounded by three unfamiliar teenagers, tall, skinny and whiter than the sand on Maracas Beach. The man stuck out like an especially sore thumb. Gabe decided to lurk outside the mall, pretending to browse the clothes in one of the outdoor shops. The old shopkeeper was sat on his deck chair, fanning himself. Every now and then he glanced at Gabe with a suspicious eye, no doubt weary that the boy might try to stuff something into his pocket. Gabe couldn't blame him. On another day, he'd be right on the money. After five minutes of pretend perusing, he clocked the journalist shaking hands with each of the boys, and then they were on their way. He waited until there was safe distance between him and the teenagers before crossing the street. As Gabe got his first close sight of the man, he was pleased with what he saw. He looked young, wet behind the ears and reeking of inexperience, just the kind of juicy fish the boy liked to reel in. The gentleman was jotting something down on his notepad, entirely oblivious to Gabe's arrival. You paid them yet? he asked abruptly in his thick Trinidadian twang, causing the man to jump. Huh? You pay them boys for their info? The journalist frowned. Excuse me? You writing a story on the gang violence, no? Er, I might be. What business is it of yours? You shouldn't speak to them, they're not reliable. You know them? Gabe nodded. From school, he lied. And what makes you think they're unreliable? They won't give you any real insight, they just want to look cool on your front cover. The journalist gave Gabe an indistinguishable look, either of disbelief or intrigue. Is that so? Based on the appearance of the unfamiliar boys, Gabe took a gamble. Yeah, if they said they had connections to Gazi Vengeance, they're lying to you. You should talk to me instead. Hmm. From the man's expression, Gabe's guests seemed to have hit the mark. And I suppose you have the real insight. You know more about the gangs. Gabe nodded. And why should I believe you? How do I know you aren't doing just the same? You don't have to believe me. There's proof if you look. Okay, what's your connection then? My big bro. He's rolled with a gang for four years now. The journalist's attention was piqued. Your brother is a gang member. Yeah, and you say there's proof. Yeah, don't take my word for it. Google. Gabe nodded towards the journalist's smartphone. He's called Tafari, AK. They wrote about him last year. 
The journalist smirked. He picked up his phone and started typing into it, clearly following Gabe's advice. Gabe studied him, watching the man's reactions to whatever text he was reading on the screen. Tafari A.K. was indeed a well-known member of the Kingston Boys, but he was of no relation to the plucky child. Hmm, the journalist looked up. Who says your story is any better than the one I'm already assembling? Gabe laughed. He stared directly into the journalist's eyes with a confidence incongruous of a boy his age. Because mine is true, and I tell you things that'll make your hair stand on end. The man couldn't help but laugh too. My associates directed me to these boys. You've just approached me on the street. So? Doesn't mean they're not liars. How much you pay in them? One hundred each, Canadian. Okay, you give me the same and I'll give you a real story to take home. So, I give you a hundred dollars and... Gabe started laughing again, much more derisively this time. No, you give me the same. Three hundred. The journalist raised an eyebrow and Gabe continued to hold his gaze. Hmm. You know where the Lumia is? Gabe nodded. I need to make a couple of phone calls. You meet me there in an hour and I'll interview you. If what you tell me is worth listening to, you'll get your money. With that, the journalist rose to his feet and extended a hand, which Gabe gladly shook. What's your name? Gabriel, he replied, seeing no reason to lie about this. My name is Rubin. I'll see you in an hour. Gabe was already spending the money in his head as he started walking away from Prince's Town. He knew what 300 Canadian dollars amounted to. It would buy his sister a ticket out of Trinidad. She'd be able to leave before the piece was published. He did not have long. Although the Lumia was only a stone's throw from his current location, it had to make certain arrangements prior to the meeting. If Gabe was seen talking to a member of the press, word would travel quickly to his real brother. Not only did he have to create an alibi, he also had to make sure no one from the Kingston boys would be anywhere nearby. Gabe's lie was a half lie. His brother was indeed a member of the gang, he attested him to be, although he was certainly no key player like Tafari A.K. Deshane hadn't a fraction of the profile and Gabe had no exciting personal accounts to tell. His brother was and would always be a sheep, not a shepherd and a particularly forgettable one at that. Deshane's alliances were not widely known. Such an unremarkable young man slipped below any radar, but this did not stop him from being held to certain standards. Affiliates did not talk to the press, and neither did their family members. Gabe knew what would happen if he were found out. The scar above his eyebrow reminded him as much. He was smarter now, though, and too wise to repeat past mistakes. Gabe sprinted down Lathian's road. Like most days, the air was oppressively hot and he soon began to sweat. The sound of his worn-out sneakers echoed through the quiet alleyways. The boy took a few sharp turns around narrow corners before making his way out into an open courtyard. Sandro was waiting there. Gabe slowed his pace. The scrawny child's eyes betrayed that he'd spotted Gabe, but he immediately acted like he hadn't. Yo, Sandro! For a split second, it looked like he was planning his escape. Then he clearly thought better of it. Gabe laughed, catching his breath. You don't need to look so scared. It's not about the dollar. It's not? Sandro queried. Nah, and you can forget about owing me if you do me a favour, you understand? 
Gabe registered the keenness in the boy's eyes. In truth, he was going to let him off for the money regardless. He was a good kid, and he knew he wouldn't have carelessly squandered it. Where's your dad right now? Home, Sandro said. I need to get a message to him right away, you hear? Sandro nodded in understanding. You tell him Gazi Vengeance are heading through here, dozens of them all loaded up with automatics. You tell him to get every single Kingston boy ready, okay? Sandro was just about to turn before Gabe continued. But you don't say it was me who told you. Sandro looked puzzled. Who I say it was? I don't care, anyone else. One more thing. Once you've spoken to your dad, tell your brother I've been with him all day. Sandro looked puzzled. People going to ask where I was today. You make sure he says I've been with him, you hear? But why? Listen, boy, do it, or I'll be wanting that dollar back with interest. He shooed him. Just go, now run. Sandro didn't need to be told again. He leapt down the street as if Gabe was clearing a debt of a thousand dollars. The Lumia was the fanciest hotel within a 50-mile radius and unquestionably the safest. It was primarily used by journalists, politicians and all manner of businessmen, particularly those with sense. In light of the security on site, despite his detour, Gabe still arrived there ahead of time. Peering at the main entrance, he started to feel nervous. For a second he thought about just sauntering inside, but all it took was a discouraging look from one of the sullen guards to make him reconsider. He was also acutely aware of his surroundings. He might be safe from the eyes of his brother's gang, but he could not control who else might recognise him. Just as he started to feel the early tremors of cold feet, he spotted the journalist through the window. Rubin raised a hand, beckoning for him to come inside. It never ceased to amaze Gabe how clueless some of these non-islanders were. As if a street hood like him would just be allowed entry into somewhere as upmarket as the Lumia. He shook his head and nodded to the armed security. The journalist seemed to understand this. A moment later he was speaking with the guards, showing them some kind of form and a photo ID. He smiled and once again signalled for him to enter. As Gabe approached, the two guards parted, studying him intently. There's a nice terrace out the back, Reuben said. I was thinking of having a snack. You hungry? Gabe grinned. Always, he said. Free food too, he thought. This day was just getting better by the minute. Once they were seated, the journalist ordered a club sandwich. Gabe had no idea what this was, but asked for the same, plus a lemonade with no ice. You don't mind me recording, you do you? We post podcasts on our website. What's that? A podcast? Oh, it's kind of like a video journal. Gabe nodded. You'll be sure to get my good side. The journalist laughed. Your face and voice will be disguised. How old are you? Twelve. Precocious little fella, aren't you? Huh? Never mind. Although he wouldn't be expressing anything revelatory or even factual for that matter, Gabe was slightly nervous about being recorded. He'd not accounted for this. Perhaps he wasn't any wiser after all. Screw it, he decided. Any hiding was worth $300. The journalist set up a small camera on a tripod between them at the end of the table, and Gabe's eyes wandered to a South Asian woman sat reading a book on the other side of the terrace. It wasn't uncommon to see a woman of this nationality in the area, but she wasn't in the usual garb. Her outfit seemed more in keeping with the journalist, 
She wore a t-shirt and shorts and some kind of sports watch on her wrist. As Rubin asked his opening questions, Gabe noticed that the woman stopped reading every now and then to peer over at their table. This kind of inquisitiveness unsettled him, but he tried to ignore it as he delved into his first false anecdote. he told a similar one before about a drive-by at his home. He excitedly described how he and his sister had had to hit the deck, dodging a wild spray of bullets all meant for his fake brother. Wow, and you were all unhurt. They grazed my sister's shoulder, but nothing that caused any real damage. Were you scared? These journalists always wanted to talk about thoughts and emotions, as if anything other than the basal will to survive would have occupied his mind at such a time. We were used to it, he said. For what must have been the fifth or sixth occasion, he noticed a suspicious woman interrupt her reading to glance over. Gabe considered that he'd seen her somewhere before. Her face definitely had a feeling of familiarity to it. He continued regardless. After so much prior experience at conning the press, knowing what sounded spicy and understanding where to draw the line, Gabe felt that he was reaching peak levels of aptitude in the task. Strangely, though, he felt that this new proficiency for deceitfulness was perhaps wasted on Rubin. He seemed amateurish, more gullible and naive than any of the ones he encountered before. The pair spoke for perhaps another twenty minutes, after Gabe had devoured his sandwich. He recognised that the man was most receptive to and even feigned distress at recounting some of the more traumatic anecdotes. OK, I think I've got enough to go on here. Rubin said with a wide grin. You, my friend, are going to be the total focal point of the story, he laughed. It's a good job you'll be anonymous, otherwise you'd be heading for minor celebrity status in Canada. Gabe laughed with him as it seemed the appropriate response. He was eyeing the small brown envelope beside Rubin's laptop. Ah yes, I think you've earned this. Rubin picked it up and handed it over. Gabe immediately tore it open and started counting the money. Three hundred dollars, it's all there, don't worry. Gabe flicked through the notes to be certain. He smiled when he'd confirmed it and quickly stuffed the envelope down the front of his shorts. A small swell of exhilaration overcame him for a moment. This was a life-changing sum, for his sister at least. The pair stood up and shook hands. Reuben escorted him through the hotel lobby and wished him farewell. Once he was back on the street, Gabe felt a rush of nervous elation. He could barely believe he'd managed to pull it off, but walking back through Princess Town with such a wad of cash was a daunting affair, and he soon felt the peculiar sensation of being watched. The idea of someone cornering him and taking his ill-gotten gains was a terrifying prospect. Feeling a noticeable surge of chest palpitations not attributed to his accelerated pace, he searched his surroundings to see if anyone had followed him. He scanned the streets for potentially dangerous individuals, but no one seemed to fit the profile. The area was swarming with families and other seemingly innocuous folk. He let himself relax and powered on through the side streets. Emerging into the open from a narrow passage, he heard a shout of, Hey! or Wait! The voice seemed to yell. As he approached the markets, his instincts of self-preservation were heightened. He was indeed being trailed. Turning back, he locked eyes with the woman from the Lumia. He did not immediately feel threatened. She was just an unaccompanied woman, after all. Seeing as there could be nothing advantageous about such an encounter, though, he decided not to stop. 
He upped his pace to a brisker, more deliberate stride. He thought to break into a run, but this would attract too much attention, especially if she continued to call after him. With this amount of money on his person, he was reluctant to cause any kind of scene. He carried on for another hundred metres or so, pretending not to hear the woman as she continued to yell. On another glance back, he noticed she had drastically decreased the distance between them. It was at this point where the area became open once more and with clear escape routes in sight that he finally decided to acknowledge her. What? he yelled back. She was no more than a few metres away now. It's okay, the woman said calmly. I just want to talk to you. About what? he replied with hostility. You don't need to worry. I'm alone. I'm not going to harm you. Gabe laughed at this, feeling relatively secure in himself. I'm not worried about that, he said. What are you telling me for? Like I said, just to talk. Gabe raised his head. I'm listening. You were giving an interview to that journalist in the hotel back there. This was an assertion rather than a question. What's it to you? I've seen you there before, giving similar talks. This one paid you quite handsomely, I notice. Gabe felt threatened by the statement. He puffed up his chest and attempted to deepen his voice. You better turn round, lady. I'm not afraid to hit no woman, you hear? Unexpectedly, the stranger started to laugh. It provoked a scowl from Gabe. Why would you hit me? Do you think I want to steal from you? Gabe looked around and lowered his voice. Why else are you talking about my money? Because you deceived that man to get it, the woman said, flippant and somehow unaccusatory in her delivery. The tranquil objectivity of the observation caused Gabe to drop his guard somewhat. So, he said, feeling no reason to deny the charge. Are you not worried about the repercussions? she asked. Gabe stared back vacant. I mean, people will surely hear about this. Could it not land you in some trouble? Maybe, replied Gabe, utterly nonchalant. That's my business. He'd had plenty of interactions with Indo-Trinidadians before, naturally as they accounted for over a third of the total population, but he'd never heard any of them sound like this one. Her accent was lacking any trace of the island inflection. He'd also heard native Indians speak, and she didn't sound anything like them either. He could have been mistaken, but she sounded distinctly British. That's true, I listened to you mentioning some names, though. Members of the Kingston boys? That can't have been smart. Gabe was starting to feel irritated now. Who are you, lady? Why are you chasing me down the street? I'm no one, she replied, just a vaguely concerned bystander. There was something imprecisely unsettling about the woman's relaxed demeanour. She wore an ambiguous smile as she spoke, and the vacancy in her eyes seemed to divest it of any mockery. What are you planning to do with your earnings? Gabe lowered his voice once more, hearing her mention the money angered him so his next assertion was a hiss. Stop talking about that. He looked around, anxious of any eavesdroppers. Okay, I'll stop. What's your plan of action, though? Where are you going? Why are you asking me these things, and why would I tell you? Just mild interest, like I say. I don't enjoy seeing people put themselves in danger, children especially. Gabe was as surprised by this comment as he was by her reaction to his threat of violence a moment ago. He wasn't used to people looking out for him, or even pretending to. The weirdest part was, she seemed genuine. 
Listen, lady, I don't need your help, okay? I can look after myself just fine. I don't doubt it. The woman pursed her lips and let out a fast exhale somewhere between a sigh and raspberry. I'm hungry, she said, as if this was a perfectly natural comment to make under the circumstances. What? Gabe replied, screwing up his face. I said I'm hungry. You want to get a burger or something? Don't worry, I'll pay. Gabe stared at her for a moment, feeling bewildered. Is she not all there? He thought. I mean, unless you still full up from that club sandwich earlier. Another conversational curveball. Why on earth had she paid such close attention? You hitting on me, lady? He asked, deadly serious. The woman burst out laughing again. Gabe continued to stare at her, not seeing the funny side. Sorry, I don't mean to offend you, but I think you're about 20 years too young for me. Listen, where can I get some good fast food around here? Food was Gabe's Achilles heel. The mere suggestion of it made his stomach rumble, and the small sandwich at the hotel had certainly not been enough to fill him up. There's a place in the mall that does pretty good burgers, he replied, almost without thinking. He'd only scrounged cold leftovers before. They'd probably be even nicer warm. Cool, does that mean you'll be joining me? Gabe attempted to consider this for a couple of seconds, but his mind was swamped by thoughts of hot food. Okay, he said, frowning slightly. He led the stranger to the food hall inside the mall, neither of them saying anything along the way. When they joined the queue at a small restaurant, she told him to order whatever he wanted. He asked for two cheeseburgers, large fries and an iced tea, the latter merely out of curiosity. The woman laughed at this, ordering a small vegetarian burger for herself. Gross, Gabe said. I thought you wanted a real burger. The woman laughed. What, it's not real because it doesn't contain meat? She asked. Hmm, he replied. Gabe woofed down his first burger in no more than three enormous bites. He assumed that as soon as she started speaking to him, she'd divert the discussion back to his payment from the journalist. Conversely, she simply asked him general questions about his life. He wasn't sure if it was because she seemed trustworthy or just that she was feeding him, but he saw no reason to lie. Even when she asked his name, he fought against his initial inclination to provide a pseudonym. It's Gabriel, he said, but everyone calls me Gabe. He suddenly frowned as a thought popped into his head. If you heard everything I said at the hotel, you must have heard that. I did, but I thought you might have given him a fake name. Her indefinite half-smile returned. Maybe you should have. Gabe simply grunted in response to this. Aren't you going to ask for my name, she said. How about I give you a name, Gabe replied, still frowning. Snoopy, how about that? The woman laughed loudly this time, turning a few heads from the table beside them. It really bothered you that I followed you, didn't it? Okay then, Snoopy it is. I'm sure I've been called worse. Gabe studied the woman. Her reaction to his insult was perhaps the moment he realised he liked her. Do you feel like telling me what a boy of your age is going to do with $300 yet? Gabe rolled his eyes. Fine, he said. You've beaten me down. Still don't get why you care, but I'm giving it to my big sister. Well, most of it. That's kind of you. Why are you doing that? She's been trying to get out of Trini for a while, but she never saved enough for a plane ticket. She's mixed up with the wrong crowd here and she knows it. He shrugged. She's done enough for me over the years. 
It's the least I can do. What about you? What about me? Don't you want to leave? Gabe shook his head. I can get by here. I got more street smarts than her, which makes it safer for me. She's the type of person who finds a fifty on the street and hands it into the police. Snoopy laughed, which made Gabe think she'd probably do the same. Wouldn't you like to go with her? Nah, I can't stay out of trouble. If she took me in, I'd end up messing it up for her. He sighed. Most important thing is that she leaves now. That type of money don't come by often. This all sounds pretty admirable, Gabe, but aren't you risking your own safety here when you do things like talk about known gang members with the press? Gabe shrugged again. I'm not worried. Snoopy shook her head in a there's no arguing with you kind of way. What's your sister's name? Shirelle. Well, I hope Shirelle appreciates her little brother and she's grateful for the money. She probably won't take it from me at first. She'll think I stole it. Snoopy laughed again. There was something extremely comforting about the way she kept doing that. She seemed to emanate wisdom without seeming judgmental or preachy like other grown-ups. When they'd both finished their meals, she asked him to stay safe and to do something sensible with whatever was left of the cash. He shook his head and told her there wouldn't be enough of it left to do anything stupid. It would likely just go on food. She scrawled something down on a receipt and stood up, prompting him to do the same. She handed him the paper. If you ever find yourself in a bad situation and need some help, she said. He accepted it, merely humouring her. Snoopy, it read, and underneath was a phone number and an email address. If you'd like to learn more about JW Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode.